You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network as we bring you our third consecutive day of Christmas Tim Allen four days. Uh, We are excited to continue and conclude the epically awesome, at least one part was, trilogy that is the Santa Claus trilogy. As today we bring you the Santa Claus 3, the Escape Clause, the 2006 box office movie that everybody (laughs) went and saw who liked some of this movie. Uh, I'm intrigued to talk about this because... I'd never seen it before. Maybe thunk, thunk, thunk. I, I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm just, I'm just going to shut up and say, my name is Ben. <laughs> and did you just accuse me of being skillful and delicious? Guilty as charged. <laughs> and my name is Colin, and this is what Canadians look like. <laughs> I was thinking you might say that one. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, I enjoyed the most part of this film about all the Canadian references. Uh, you kept that hidden yeah. from me. I was not expecting it. <laughs> this is uh wow okay um i've seen the santa claus three now uh <laughs> yesterday <laughs> another one hadn't. off the bucket list <laughs> <laughs> um, like this is a movie that is hmm, um, <laughs> i'm saying this now people at home listening are looking at the timestamp of this episode they're seeing how long this episode is while they're listening we obviously have no idea how long this episode is going to go i've i've strictly said to colin eh, I can get this done in 90 minutes. So if you're looking yeah. at the time and going, oh, well done, Ben, it's done it in 90 minutes. Like, yay <laughs> me. If you're looking at it, it's like five hours long, then fuck my life. Um, but I- what you don't realize is when you get 45 minutes of this episode and we run out of things to say, we just stall for the second half. So turn it off now. <laughs> we just keep talking about The Last Jedi. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> um, God, I don't even know where to begin. This movie, like, like what the hell is this? Uh- <laughs> This is what you call a real cash grab and a lazy cash grab. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, just I just avoided seeing this because, again, I think I said in the part two that I just did not like the second one. It just took the problem with these two sequels is it just it just takes away from the first one so much. Like they're so different, and like there was parts of the second one that were similar, which I like those parts. And this one, there's, like, maybe one section of the movie, which I'm like, hey, cool. And then I think, like, that's a problem with this. Like, they should have done more with this part of this movie, and this could have been a good movie. But, like, Mm -hmm. it's just so much. Like, they've just honestly just gone down the children's movie highway and gone, what can we do for children? Like, I know these are children's movies. I get that. I'm not complaining for complaining's sake. But, like... You watch the first one, you watch the third one. The only thing that's similar about these movies is fucking Santa Claus and Judge Reinhold. That's about it. Well, and three shots that literally appear in both the first one and the third one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I mean, I agree. Yeah, you go. Oh, I, I have nothing say, else I... to say in the intro. <laughs> Let's keep this under 90 minutes. Come on. Uh, I completely agree with you because my opinion of this movie has always been, I thought it had real potential. And I remember the trailers, they kind of give away everything about the movie. Uh, but the idea of the escape clause was a good enough idea that they tried to use it on the second part. And then they scrapped it, reworked the script, and came up with the Mrs. Clause instead. But this idea would work. I mean, it's not as creative as the Santa Clause, as in, you know, legal clause from part one, or even the Mrs. Clause from part two, because it's just a reworking of It's a Wonderful Life. But you had so much potential with that, and they wasted it, 
by spending an hour at the North Pole setting up something that, that becomes completely meaningless because he doesn't actually... Oh, we'll, we'll get there in a second as to the reason why it doesn't work. But even the escape clause, the way it's executed in this movie, it just doesn't work at all. And uh, I struggle to think of any one scene in this that really holds up. I'll defend part two uh, for 90 minutes if you'd rather talk about that again. But... Uh, <laughs> I can't come up with much to defend on this one. I mean, I, I saw this a year after it came out because I just had no interest in, when I started hearing the reviews, no interest in a movie that was just North Pole, just kid-friendly, and really just kind of lazy. Look, part two looks like an absolute masterpiece compared to this. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I think you and I are probably going to be both be in agreement then that I think we kind of are referring to the bit where he sort of goes back in time and doesn't become Santa. Yeah. Like, that... As soon as that got to that, I'm like, oh, this movie's about to, like, get interesting. But it's just, it's blinking, you miss, it's done. It's like, well, For ten was, minutes. <laughs> yeah, that was pointless. Like, make mm-hmm. the whole movie about that. That would have been cool. I love kind of movies where they kind of, like, Back to the Future 2, I, that's my, my favourite yeah. of the trilogy. I love that whole sort of idea of them having to go back to something we've already seen and work around that. Like, I love that whole part of it. So, yeah, they, they, they've missed something major, what they could have done with this film. But I will say... I did actually really love Martin Short. I loved him coming into this. Oh, yeah. I did have fun with his character. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I guess kind of just a few things here. I mean, we, we went over uh, the director a little bit in part two, I guess, Michael Lembeck, who, you know, esteemed filmography has obviously been between this and Santa Claus. So, we did Connie and Carla. Um, and, of course, you know, who's involved in the bling ring. He did um, the Super uh, Bowl- Actually... If, if I got an update on that, I found out in the last episode, we never got a chance to uh, say it. There were two movies called The Bling Ring, both about the same real event. He uh, made a lifetime TV movie of The Bling Ring, and two years later, Sophia Coppola did the theatrical one. Oh, okay. That makes sense then. Have you seen the, the theatrical one? Yeah, I saw the Sophia Coppola one. It was pretty average. I, I'd be willing to bet that the Michael Lembeck Lifetime one might be just as interesting. <laughs> Look, I it was okay. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I just enjoyed watching Emma Watson and I can never say her name, Tessa Famiga, uh, who's kind mm-hmm. of like Noah's girlfriend, but she's fucking hot. Um, but like Emma Watson's oh, weird, cover that movie now. <laughs> yeah, Emma Watson's weird accent. Um, but she looks amazing in that film, and I, I love Tessa Famiga, gorgeous woman. Anyway, um, but yeah, he also directed. Uh, I think I mentioned the one after the Super Bowl, one of my uh, favorite friends, ever, one of the I guess most iconic friends episode. I mean, that basically had every single celebrity in it under the star- sun. It had like you know John Claude Van Damme, Julia Roberts. Uh, I think Brooke Shields was in that episode. So many people were in that episode. But anyway, so that's who's done this film. So send all hate to him. Um, although it was written by Ed Dechter and John J. Strauss. Did they do the first two? Or um, I hope not. <laughs> uh, well, Ed, Ed Dechter did the second one. I don't think either of these guys were involved in the first. But just he looking at it right now, he's <laughs> most well known for There's Something About Mary. And the TV show Boy Meets World, which is one of my childhood favorite shows. Wasn't there something about Mary, a um, oh, the Farrelly Brothers movie? Like, was he just yeah. involved in Ryan, I guess. Well, also, esteemed credits these for... These two guys... Right. Well, okay. I was going to say, these two guys wrote it with the Farrelly Brothers. There's something about Mary. Uh, esteemed uh, Ed Decker was also involved in the Lizzie McGuire movie. Um, which, can I shamelessly say, I saw at the cinemas, but, but, (laughs) there was a reason I worked at the cinemas at the time, so I got all movies for Uh free. So, that was the only one I hadn't seen. Um, and John J. Strauss also worked on the Lizzie McGuire movie. Um, 
And yeah, that's about it. Uh, also, can I say Michael Lembeck also did The Tooth Fairy. Is that the, um, uh, was that Vin the Diesel or The Rock? The Rock. Um, which, I mean, he has an obsession, clearly, with these mythical characters. Or is that meant to be a spin-off? Like in the, the Santa Claus cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they, they did want these to spin off all of them. I think the Tooth Fairy movie was originally in development as a spin-off of this. But I don't think they ever had the idea that they were going to recast Art LaFleur. Uh, which it probably would have made it a better movie if they did. But, you know, you take Hop after that. I mean, yeah, there were, there were tons of... There's tons of untapped potential with this council of legendary figures. Like, I can't wait for the Cupid film or the Father Time film. <laughs> Let's be honest. If Disney didn't have Star Wars and Marvel, that'd be doing the Santa Claus uh, cinematic universe. So, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, blame blame Disney for setting their sights high on Marvel and <laughs> and Star Wars. <laughs> um, but I mean, all our main cast, well, pretty much our main cast return, uh, with the exception. Of uh, poor old Bernard's not back, David Crumholtz. Is there ever any reason why he didn't come back? No, I, I think, I mean, it could have had to do with filming dates. I don't have the filming dates in front of me here, but I know Numbers was on at that time and it was a huge show. Um, it could also be that he didn't want to come back because he read the <laughs> script and he's the only smart one. True, true. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, we obviously have, uh, well, Eric Lloyd's barely in this film. I didn't, you know, was he even in this movie? He's in for like younger Eric Lloyd's in this movie more than older Eric Lloyd. Uh, obviously Elizabeth Mitch- Mitchell, Judge Reinhold, Martin Short's kind of the big addition, Wendy Cruz, and of course Alan Arkin and Anne Margaret. I didn't realize that she's, I like Anne Margaret. Um, uh, I don't know if you know her from, I mean, I guess everyone knows her, but like, I mean, like, you know, Grump- you mentioned grumpy old men. She was in one of those, wasn't she? She was in both of them. She was, uh, both of them. That's yeah. what I know her. Uh, but she was also uh, a, sort of a main side character in season five of Third Watch for about, I think, three episodes, I think she was. But uh, I've seen her in That's the other thing I know her from. <laughs> She's been in lots of things. She was in Any Given Sunday. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen that. Anyway, so they're kind of our additions. I mean, I don't know if you've got any sort of background on pff, the lead into this film. I can't see anything here about it. I mean, yeah. No, uh, it's... <laughs> They decided to make a third movie. They took the old script that didn't work and said, why pay new writers? Let's just take this script that we trashed the first time and film it. And well, somehow it still took four years to get it off the ground. Apparently there was a tie-in video game released on the 1st of November <laughs> for the Game Boy Advance. Um, there you go. Um, there, I've also found an article, which maybe we can, if we run out of time at 45 minutes, there's 19 fun <laughs> facts about Tim Allen's The Santa Claus. Uh, which is actually about the first one. Um, oh no, there's a there's a bit here. Oh, hang on, I found the uh, reason why David Crumholtz was not in the third one. This didn't take us long. Um, the fourteenth fun fact about the Santa Claus, according to Factual dot com. Um, you were right. David Crumholtz had to sit out Santa Claus three. Uh, the film's production conflicted with the shooting schedule for his TV crime drama Numbers. Uh, so there you go. That's answered that one. Um, there's really nothing interesting on this that we have not already covered. So we will get rid of that article. Anyway, so let's get into this monstrosity. Um, <laughs> should, I, should I ask you background? Did you see this at the cinemas? Did you rush oh. out to see it or did you just randomly, oh, there's a third one, may as well watch it. I remember being excited when I knew there was a third Santa Claus movie coming out as I was a big Tim Allen fan and everything. And it was probably a combination of two things. The job I was working at the time, I was working basically 6 in the evening to 2.30 in the morning. Uh, so the only time I would ever go would be for matinees. And often, you know, you're just waking up and you don't want to do that. 
Uh, and then the other thing was it it just it looked dumb. <laughs> uh, and as much of a, as I'm a huge Tim Allen fan, I mean, I'll be honest, I will pay to see the movies that look like good. Like I was there opening day of Galaxy Quest. I was there opening day of Santa Claus Two. Uh, opening there, uh, opening day of Wild Hogs. But I mean, I wasn't rushing out for for Richer or Poor or the Santa Claus Three. I I like Richer or Poor. I think we should do that one day. Underrated. Um. Anyway, this isn't underrated. This is just shit. Uh. So we, st- the the thing that's kind of interesting with our beginning here is the, the I've written here the stupid Disney Castle. I'm so glad they don't put that like before Star Wars movies. That add like another ten minutes. So that that goes on forever. The stupid Disney. Um. <laughs> I'm just not happy with Disney. All right, because of the whole Lion King thing. It's bullshit. Like I just don't like this Lion King remake they're doing. It's pointless. Um. Beyonce is Nala. Go away. Um. <laughs> the snow globe takes the um the castle. I've written that down. I literally like. I seriously think we're going to be on track for 90 minutes here, just because my notes here, I'm just going to gel over so much stuff. So mm-hmm. so we start off, we're above the North Pole. How fantastic. It's great. Uh, and we're in the elementary school. <laughs> you know, we're in for a classic with such a pun as the elementary school. And that's not even the worst pun to come. Oh, God, around the Canadians, so you're loving that. Um, the, 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 it's a good start, though, because we get Abigail Breslin. Here she is. Yeah. None of this <laughs> shitty brother that's in this movie. The Abigail Breslin. Um, and this is... Can I just uh, interject here? Of course. When did she get her Oscar nomination? Was it before or after this? Did, did she get an Oscar nomination? For Little Miss Sunshine. Did she get on? I didn't realise that. Um, it was around about the yeah. same time, weren't they? Or was this a few years afterwards? That's what I remember. Because I know Little Miss Sunshine Arkham came out. Yeah, like 2006, Little Miss Sunshine came out. So, I mean, the movie probably was released around the same time. But Oscar nomination followed for one <laughs> cast member of the Santa Claus 3. And it was, well, two of them. Because of them. Alan Arkin got nominated for that, he too. He won. Yeah. He beat Eddie Murphy. I remember getting pissed off that year because I'm a huge Eddie Murphy fan. I'm like, this is the year Eddie Murphy wins an Oscar. And mm-hmm. he got beaten by Alan Arkin. Um, so, yeah, I forgot. That. Actually, no, you are right. I do forget that she got nominated for an Oscar, Abigail Breslin. Um, we're, we're on the Abigail Breslin fan wagon. Coming soon, the Abigail yes. Breslin month. What would we do? Fun. Signs, Little Miss Sunshine. Um, Every episode of Scream Queens. Yeah, oh, she's gorgeous in that show. Um, and do we do the shit dirty dancing? Can't be worse than the original, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I thought it was slightly better, but it was mostly because she was in it. Yeah. Oh, she was in New Year's Eve. Isn't that a piece of shit? Uh, oh, Nim's Island. Oh. Jody Foster movie. Come on. We oh. got to cover New Year's Eve for New Year's Eve. Oh God, can we not? <laughs> <laughs> I saw five minutes of it on TV, and I was like, God, I want to go watch Dirty Dancing. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so can we just talk about Abigail Breslin for 90 minutes? Santa yeah. Claus doesn't become Santa for five minutes. Martin Short does. There's conflict and drama. Alan Arkin's grumpy. The end. Santa Claus 3. Abigail Breslin. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so Elizabeth Mitchell, Mrs. Claus, we're just going to call her Juliet. She's gotten a job. She yeah. asked if there was um, a school. And again, let's work out the logistics here. These are freaking elves. They're like 900 years old. So how long are they in school for? Are they forever in like grade three? Like just every year? Like this is what they're learning? Um, but so, oh, can't we learn about the things that we want to learn? 
Um, don't we always say that to the teachers at school? So uh, Mrs. Claus is telling this story that she's pregnant and we get this scene of her getting rushed through the North Pole because apparently they don't have ambulances in the North Pole. They have the police. They have ELFS. Um, they have the ways and means. Elfacers. Creating the elfacers. But they don't have a freaking elfenbience. I don't know how you'd say that in an ambulance. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> just, this whole bit where they're like rushing her into the hospital, these tiny little rooms, like, oh no, it's just a false alarm, and all these like, what, these Snoopy elves? Ah, oh, I stopped a pedicure for this? Like, <laughs> don't fucking watch then, it's a woman giving birth, what are you going to stare at a vagina? Like, Ooh, baby. <laughs> Sometimes I swear they don't think in kids' movies the actual like logistics of these things. Like, I know it's made for kids, but kids grow up. And understand these references in like twenty years later. Like, can we just analyze the fact that you've got like a hundred, nine hundred year old, nine year old looking elves staring at a woman's vagina? Like, okay, um, it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> so anyway, it's all it's a false alarm. So she's back in the this weird den bedroom of Santa's that's got a, a fireplace that talks. Oh, that um, is creepy. That is so crazy. Like, this is not. This is the thing. Like, forget the first movie where we see you know Santa and Charlie on that bed in his nice red pajamas. This is like they've remodelled the North Pole in twelve years. Um, she's listening to the baby playing Jingle Bells. I don't even know what's happening at this point. Um, he wants to give her a present, so he goes through the chimney. And has a baby bag with a whatever the hell that is a mo- mu- not a mural mobile mobile mural. mobile I'm gonna say a monorail <laughs> <laughs> monorail 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 <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we have a scene with the elf doctor uh, actually I've written here how is he allowed to use magic does he have a magic watch that he can only use like eight bits of magic <laughs> oh. in the, the mobile here that's different at the North Pole. Um, oh yay, Curtis is back. Um, and for an elf that's not meant to age, he's aged. Uh, <laughs> so, should have made this movie sooner. Uh, whatever the director's name is, I've forgotten it already. Um, he's got really blue eyes this time around, uh, Curtis Spencer Breslin. Did you notice that, or...? No, uh, <laughs> I, I tend to not stare deeply into Spencer Breslin's eyes when he's on screen. You talked about him enough in the last bloody movie. I thought you might have. Um, <laughs> so he's getting his attention. Uh, with this whole stupid situation? He's like, help me, help you, help me, help you. It's like, it just goes on for two. This is a, fire, yeah. So much of this just drags on. It's just like back and forth and crap. And I'm sure the children in the cinema are like, ah! like I'm sure you can show this to freaking Casper in two years and he'll fucking buy this and love it but like he's dumb because he's a baby um <laughs> sorry calling your son dumb can I, can I just I just want to say uh that's one of the most common things I actually say every time Casper tries to do something I know he can't do I'm like you can't do that you're too stupid still <laughs> okay good I'm allowed to call you baby dumb that's good um <laughs> So, um, we find out that the there's going to be an emergency council meeting of the mythical figures um, in the kitchen. Mrs. Claus is grumpy. Can I just point out, like, I love Elizabeth Mitchell, but, like, why is she just so grumpy, this movie, with everything? She's been with him for how long? Why is this only catching up to her now? I get the whole, like, oh, I miss tall people. I want to go home for the holidays. But, like, you signed up for this! 
What? You are clearly the single guy in this podcast and have never been around a pregnant woman. That That's the one thing I thought was pretty accurate in this movie. <laughs> I thought you were about to say you've never been in a relationship. I was with someone for eight years, but I, I guess she wasn't pregnant. <laughs> so, um, yeah, okay, fair point. Um, <laughs> but then we just get this whole sequence of like, oh, I hope you're not delivering when I'm delivering. And um, Santa's showing off a duck that quacks in three languages and she wants a family. Can I have both? And we've got to protect the yes. So I'm just legitimately going over all this crap here. You can probably fill in the gaps here. Um, she's going can on. Can I? <laughs> we can't bring your family because of the SOS, the secret of Santa. Uh, so why not bring the parents here? Um, oh, because they can't keep a secret. Um, your dad thinks that we're in Canada. Well, th- let's make it. What does he say? Like Canada or something? The way he says it, like Canada. Oh, Canada. Uh, so this is going to set up this. I, I don't think it's fun though. This whole thing of them flying into the North Pole and making it believe it's Canada. There is some funny stuff around the Canadian stuff in this movie. Um, Maybe I'll cap it here before the count. I don't know. Do we even want to cap this? Can we just go run through and you just... Just you go point? right through the council scene. Uh, the one thing I will say, I do kind of like that thing in the background if you see that sort of rolling sign that says it's been 378 years without an accident. I was like, ah, uh-huh, that's kind of <laughs> funny. Uh, I always wonder with those workplaces when they're like 38 days without an accident. I'm more intrigued of what was the accident. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Didn't we, um, when we went to the, the the Mint in Winnipeg, wasn't there a sign that said that, or did we make that up? There was, yeah. No, there no, was. no, there was. <laughs> I just I just laugh at those. It's like, well, what happened? Like, who died? Like, <laughs> <laughs> to me, that makes me scared of a place. Like, what, you have accidents? Like, oh, we're proud. It's been 38 days since once. Like, well, what, you had them before? Don't advertise this. <laughs> we should just go back to the Royal Canadian Mint here in Winnipeg, and the next time we're there, we'll just wait till there's a tour with a bunch of kids. And we'll, can I just ask a question and ask the tour guide? It's like, what was the accident 317 days ago? And did you keep the thumb? Yeah. <laughs> it's like baby Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 when he brings the thing. <laughs> I love that scene. Um, anyway, so yes, the council is here. Um, the, the Tooth Fairy gets introduced as a molinator. I kind of like that. Uh, so it's an emergency meeting because Jack Frost has uh, tried to make his own holiday. Merry Frostmas. Um, and, uh, basically he's, what, had 273 violations of the, the mythical creature's code because he's froze a volcano in Hawaii, um, or the, oh, whatever, I don't, why is Jack Frost even on this council? Yeah. (laughs) You know, you can give every other person on this is a, is a valid reason, but like, I'm going to say this, I feel sorry for Jack Frost in this movie because like... He's on a council that he shouldn't be on because he's not a holiday. He's a seat. Like, where's um, summer solstice? Where's, um, yeah, I don't know, other things that are related to, like, Jack Frost? Um, like, I just don't get why he's on this in the first place. And then everyone's just a dick to him. He's just like, well, can I have a holiday? No, you can't. You're suspended. It's like... You shouldn't be on this. That'd be like me being in Parliament and like, oh, hi, I'm in the council meeting of all the members of Parliament and then everyone's shitting all over me. You shouldn't be here, Ben. It's like, well, you told me to come. <laughs> so, like, it's, it's like I feel sorry for Jack Frost. And can I just point out, I'm going to say this right now and I'm sorry if I offend, I'm not saying this, Jack Frost is so gay. Like, he is what? gay. <laughs> no. You... I, I'm... I mean, he spends a good amount of time hitting on Anne Margaret in this movie. I, I don't know. 
if he was hitting on Spencer Breslin, maybe, or... Is he hitting on her, <laughs> or just Dorn. going a bit to the point of being like, oh, you're fabulous, and, like, the things that he's... Just his mannerisms, and... <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with it, I'm just saying, he's gay. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, see, all these people fighting for, you know, a uh, 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 lesbian, gay, bi character in the Star exactly. Wars universe. You don't have to. Go back to the Santa Claus trilogy. Like, 100%. There you go. Done. Um, Disney did it first in uh, Santa Claus 3. (laughs) Um, But Martin Short's a mate. Can we just stop right now and just just agree that Martin Short is amazing? Yeah. There's not a single scene in this movie that works. But yet, at the same time, you can say there's not a single scene in this movie that Martin Short doesn't work. Like, somehow, mm. he makes the best out of this when even Tim Allen isn't interested in making the best out of it. Agree. Tim Allen phones is in. Can we just say that right mm-hmm. now? He's not interested in this movie. <laughs> um, but Martin Short, like, yeah, he's great. He, I think he's kind of like that in everything he's in, though, isn't it? Like, he never really gives a bad performance, Martin Short. So, um, just such a great... I love Martin Short. Love him so much. Uh, he's Canadian, too, is he not? Sure is. Absolutely. Like all good people. Like all good people, he's Canadian. So, anyway, uh, they're going to suspend him. Um, but then, basically, he's like, oh, let me do community service. I can help out around here um, because, you know, he can. Um, and, you know, Santa here, if there's one ice school out of place, you're gone. Yeah, follow those instructions, Santa. You clearly don't listen to yourself. Um uh, what have I written? Ah, oh, stop there. I'm going to reread my notes. I don't know what's next. I've just written here they've got a new Ro- Ralph. Roof. Ralph. You know, you were saying last... Oh, the roof. Roof. Thank Ruff. you. He says that in this movie. <laughs> uh, anyway, there you go. That's the opening of this movie. Talk. Um, well, first, I just want to comment a little bit more on Martin Short, because I didn't really... I, I always tried to figure out, like, does Jack Frost belong here? And I never thought about the fact that all the other characters have the holidays surrounding them. I guess they don't all. I mean, Father Time doesn't have a holiday surrounding Mother Nature doesn't. But for the most part, they are. I found it funny, your idea, though, that it should be somebody with a holiday. Like, you know, what if Martin Short had just played a walking tree like Groot, and he was like Arbor Day Man or something, or <laughs> Jack Arbor Day? Like, then that would have actually been even funnier because Arbor Day in no way belongs, you know, with the rest of these holidays. But Jack Frost, like, what does Jack Frost do? Uh, is there a legend of Jack Frost? I mean, other than, you know, Michael Keaton in a very underrated Christmas movie? I've just clicked on Jack Frost on Wikipedia and it says, Jack Frost is the personification of frost, ice, snow, sleet, winter and freezing cold. He's a variant of Old Man Winter who is held responsible for frosty weather, nipping the fingers and toes in such weather, colouring the foliage in autumn and leaving fern-like patterns in cold light in winter. So, um, that's... So he brings in winter, basically. A sinister mischief maker or as a hero. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Okay. Um, Also, notice here, Chris Pine did the voice of Jack Frost, the main character in Legend of the Guardians, which also Mm. featured Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy, Sandman. There you go. Uh, maybe we'll did, cover that next. Is he shirtless in it? Did Jamie enjoy shirtless Jack Frost <laughs> played by Chris Pine? Well, I'm, I'm sure we're going to be watching it, and we'll report on that next <laughs> week for tomorrow for Christmas of the Cranks. Um, you mentioned the elfimentary. I loved even more the elfirmary, where the baby is going to be born. <laughs> uh, there's so many bad things in here. That fireplace, too. I mean... We talked about your vanity project with your, you know, Kill Phil movie, but this is like the vanity fireplace. Like, how full of himself is Scott Calvin where he creates a giant 
uh, mount of his face that fire <laughs> comes out of, or that he even comes out of. It's just, it seems wrong. It seems almost perverse in a way to watch him come out of his own mouth. Um, Jamie, actually, when she saw this, she said nothing. She was just silent. She goes, well, that's truly terrifying. <laughs> that was the only comment she could make. Uh, I did like the one uh, mention here that I think uh, Juliet has. <laughs> Where he's talking about the gifts, it's like you've already given me a birthstone necklace, oven mitts, and a cheese wheel. I'm like <laughs> those are the best presents. This is again going back to the soccer ball he gives his si- his kid who saves Christmas in the first one. Here you go, babe. Here's a cheese wheel to go with your oven mitt. Not even oven mitts. An oven mitt he gave her. It's just this. The funny thing about this movie is that they're substituting what the first one was about, which was. Uh, you know, what is it like to be a divorced dad or a father trying to raise, you know, a son who's kind of jaded by divorce? The second one was, what's it like to be a single guy having to, you know, go out there and find a new wife, you know, when you have all this other stuff going on? The whole theme behind this was, you're a married guy, you have a family again, you have to balance your work and home life, which is incredibly boring compared to what we've seen before. Yeah. But I'm starting to see the better plot that could have existed here about the fact that he would be the world's worst husband as santa claus because he just gives her oven mitts like let's make his dilemma at home that he's a terrible husband (laughs) i I know the kids wouldn't like it so much but just this whole idea about oh it's tough to juggle my work and my home life even though that's the theme they have they don't even execute it properly in this movie because the little mistakes he makes are just little mistakes um i do like though when uh uh they're mentioning about let's just convince them this is canada and they mentioned vinegar on french fries which is something that we do here uh i'm not gonna say i'm gonna ask you about that yeah like it's not the only way people eat french fries uh in fact it's probably or (laughs) poutine yes we have it with cheese and gravy uh we use our cheese wheels and we use our oven mitts to take it out if you bake it but the the vinegar thing it's it's probably secondary behind ketchup it's not like this substitutes ketchup here but even as a kid i remember you know we, you'd go to mcdonald's here and they would have packets of ketchup and they have packets of vinegar and it's just which one do you want to put on so there are a lot of little nods here to canada that they actually went out of their way to do which are kind of fun if you're canadian watching it um i love that roy comes back uh <laughs> And that, as you said, they mentioned that he's the Molinator here. Just all of these actors, this is one of the reasons why I think Tim Allen doesn't work so well in this movie. And you hit the nail on your head when you said he phoned it in. Because these legendary figures, they're all still good here, even though the material's bad. Like, I like Jay Thomas still. I like Kevin Pollock. I like Aisha Tyler. I like uh, um, Art, Art LaFleur here. And Peter Boyle, of course, you know, we'll have to give some type of tribute to Peter Boyle in this episode because I think this was his final movie he filmed. But... Uh, these guys are all still great, and I kind of like, even though it is kind of the embodiment of the really cheesy little kids Disney stuff that they did with this series, the Council Legendary Figures is fun because of the actors they got in there. Mm. Uh, Curtis, on the other hand, I know I defended Curtis a lot in the last movie, and I, I'm not going to say he phones it in. I think part of the problem was, I honestly believe that the, what I said earlier about them taking the trashed script of the escape clause for santa claus 2 and just reworking it is what they did here because in no way is curtis playing curtis in this he is playing bernard the way he's overly stressed out all the time the way that he's kind of he loses his patience with people uh it's not like curtis curtis is kind of a little bit clumsy a little bit sarcastic he's he's way more laid back 
I honestly believe that David Crumbles probably dropped out the last minute or maybe production was held up and he couldn't come in because Curtis is playing Bernard. And I like Spencer Breslin as Curtis in part two. I don't like him playing Bernard. It's just Bernard was a character that was probably written around David Crumbles' personality. And I think Curtis in part two was written around Spencer Breslin's personality. You can't just mix and match them. So Curtis doesn't belong in this movie. You finally got me to go along with this Curtis hate. Um, it took only one extra movie. Yeah. Did part four. mention <laughs> when part four comes, oh. <laughs> then we're going to get the real Curtis. Um, but you, did, you mentioned at the beginning, but Martin Short's line, did you just accuse me of being skillful and delicious? <laughs> Perfect example of how good Martin Short is in this movie. And it's not even the best, like his best line is still to come. Uh, yeah, I love everything Martin Short does in this movie. Uh, and, and I like the setting of him. I thought that would be one of the things I would hate. Just they even promoted this movie as Santa versus Jock, Jack Frost. And I'm like, well, that's not going to work at all. I mean, it's not a battle of legendary figures. But Martin Short makes the plot work. And I, I almost feel like if Tim Allen had put in the effort Martin Short put in, that this could have been a savable movie. Not great, but savable. And it's just it didn't happen. But Martin Short, amazing. He doesn't really do anything if I think about it, Tim Allen in this movie. He gets told off for being busy at work, which at the end of the day, I think you mentioned, like, he doesn't really do anything wrong. Like, he's yeah. Santa Claus. I mean, for God's sakes, it's not like he's just in the first movie where he's just at his office. He's freaking Santa yeah. Claus. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, and it's his busiest day of the year. Exactly. And, you know, all of a sudden, this is a problem for Juliet. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I mean, but- if, you, if you own a store, if you own a toy store, and you work in retail as part of that toy store, and you're there Christmas Eve or Boxing Day, which is like the number one you know uh, shopping day here in Canada. Your your family has no right to tell you you don't have any time for me here on Christmas Eve or Boxing Day. Like that is the one or two days of the year that y- you have nothing else on your plate. Like that is all you do, and your livelihood depends on it. It's like if Mrs. Trudeau complained that Justin's spending too much time away from home at election time. Like, oh, you're never at home, eh? Like, where's your yeah. butt? I've just got your calendar. Um, but wait, 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 hold on. Uh, you reminded me of something else there when you mentioned Justin Trudeau. Uh, the way that Tim Allen pronounces Canada here like yeah. that, it's, I don't know if you're familiar with our former Prime Minister, Jean Chrétien. I've heard of, yeah, I've heard of him, yeah. Yeah, he had, uh, I mean, I don't think he had a stroke, but whatever it is he had, he, he kind of had to talk. It almost looks like he's talking like a stroke, like one half of his mouth. Uh, and he had this heavy French-Canadian accent. He said Canada like that. So that's another thing that I probably didn't notice when I was watching the movie. But when you said it like that, I'm like, I think Tim Allen was impersonating Jean Chrétien there, which nobody outside of Canada would really get. Um, gosh, Santa doesn't do anything in this movie. <laughs> like, he really doesn't. <laughs> It's called the Santa Claus 3. Take him out. It's still the, you know, the, nothing. It's like the Indiana Jones argument in Raider of the Lost Art. Take him out. Nothing changes. Um, or Finn in the last year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I kind of think, I mean, I, I did kind of gel over, I guess, the main plot point of this whole thing with these mythical creatures is they sort of mention the escape clause um, that, you know, and we'll find out that that will be a thing because, you know, this is Santa juggling his work. Oh, have you thought of, oh, no, I can't do the escape clause. And I think he says at one point in this movie, like, oh, I can't be in two places at once. And it's like, well, you saw how that worked out in the second movie. Um, so anyway, so the roof part is, so he goes back home to Neil's place um, and Laura's and Charlie's and fucking stupid Lucy. Oh, gosh, Lucy. 
Um, which can I just say that he's more of a dad to Lucy in this film than Charlie? What is the what is the deal with Charlie yeah. this uh, this episode? <laughs> so like this bit where we see Charlie, maybe I misheard him because like he says something about like, oh, how's Danielle? Oh, thanks for letting. Does he say like, thanks for letting me spend Christmas with her? Is that why he's not at the North Pole or something? Because why doesn't he come along with him at the end? I know he's there at the end, but like at the beginning, he's well. Not there. Yeah, they use that to explain off why he wouldn't be there, which. I have more questions about that that I'll address uh, in a little bit when you're done. I love how he's, like, stuck around with his Danielle girl. Like, her, he's two slut friends throwing snowballs in the second one. Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm going to take that back. Clearly, the boy was the slut and Danielle's not because she's obviously quite committed to Charlie because four years later, they're still yeah. together. Good on them. Um, but, That's uh, the couple we wanted to describe. The couple of 2006 is Charlie <laughs> and Danielle. Yes, exactly. Um, but, like... I, I I think we've established in the first movies. I'm one, like, fart humour has its place. I'm not one of these, like, oh, fart humour, it's the lowest common denominator. Like, I like a good <laughs> fart joke. I like a good fart <laughs> moment. But not this bit. This bit's ridiculous with the reindeer. It just goes on for too long. It's like... Yeah. And they start, like, gig- the reindeer are giggling. Like, <laughs> I'm so glad that, what's his name, Chet? Is that meant to be Chet? Chet's grown up. Um... But, I mean, this is just basically Scott giving a snowboard to Charlie and uh, saying that, yeah, you're going to come to the North Pole with us. Uh, Lucy in a snow globe. Well, that's an important part of this thing. God, Lucy's a pain in my ass. Um, <laughs> just just no. Um, <laughs> I've written here when she's, like, begging, please, Uncle Scott, can I come up North Pole? Please, I've written, shut up, in capital letters. <laughs> Scott's weakness is that he just cannot, like, say no to little shit children. Like, I mean, we saw this in the first one. How come everything I do is stupid? He just caves in. And then we've got dumbass Lucy here with the doe eyes. Please, Scott, just slap her in the face and say no! (laughs) Be a good dad, Scott Calvin! Like, you're a terrible Santa Claus if that's all you... All it takes is a little kid with cute little eyes. Like, oh, please, can I have a gun, Santa? It's like, oh, all right, Jimmy. Here's an AK-47. Off your pop. Uh, like, he's not very Jimmy good. Jimmy just took out the Pearson home. <laughs> Incoming! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the good old days of two days ago when we did the first movie. Um... <laughs> You do realise that at the time of releasing this, it is December the 23rd, so I get to watch the first one tomorrow night and erase these two out of my memory. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I, also one thing I've noticed here about Judge Reinhold and the amazing Neil, does he age? Like, he looks the same as he does in the first movie. So, whatever you're doing, Judge Reinhold, you look good. It's those sweaters, man. Keep it up. Keep it up. I know you don't look like that now because you got arrested and shit, but, like, whatever. In 2006, you looked good. Um, meanwhile, we get this scene. I love this scene at the North Pole when they're, like, turning everything into Canada. Um, so, like, ELFS becomes Ye Old Canadian Club. They've got that sign. It's like, Canada Heart Hockey, Canadian Bacon Exchange, the Maple <laughs> Office, Hockey Puck Cafe, which I've written here underneath. Jack Frost is so gay. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> what's what's the line here when like Jack Frost is trying to talk to Curtis and he's like, "Oh, tell me about the escape course. That's none of your skis wax." I'm like, oh, <laughs> just stop. <laughs> we learn. I'm just gelling over this. We learn about the escape clause that essentially you hold the snow globe and you say, "I wish I hadn't been Santa at all." 
that's all it takes. Now, come on, is that it? Like, you get pushed off a roof and you read the card, you become <laughs> Santa Claus, right? There's all these technicalities in the first one about it, which is great. The second one, there's even more to this about Mrs. Claus. Okay, great. All it takes is for a Santa to quit. Oh, I wish I wasn't Santa anymore. <laughs> like, does every Santa love their job so much that they never want to, you know, invoke this clause? I kind of think that's bullshit. I just, uh, just, I know it's a kid's movie. It's got to be kept simple, but there's got to be more to it than that. Um, anyway, so the Sandman gets a bit of a bigger role in this one. Um... He flies to get the parents of uh, Juliet because she's still homesick and we're going to do it up here in Canada. Um, so we meet Alan Arkin and um, uh, and Margaret. And, um, and his door. And his door um, that's like a big baby butt. Uh, <laughs> I like it when he's like rubbing the door. You're right. This is very butt-like. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> Can I just say, I like Alan Arkin, I like Anne-Margaret, I hate these characters. Like, the whole purpose in this movie is, oh, we never get a phone call, oh, we never hear from you, oh, if we heard from you more often, oh, 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 shut up! (laughs) (laughs) And then at the end of the movie, they're, like, busy flirting with other people! (laughs) So it's like, they're not happy, they're not married. Anyway, the Sandman makes them fall asleep. The Sandman falls asleep because they've got to be asleep on the way up to the North Pole. I've written here Sandman Poof because I think he says the word Poof. I'm not calling the Sandman one. Um, And then back at the North Pole, uh, Juliet's looking at Christmas trees. I did kind of have a bit of a laugh with the signs, you know, authentic Canadian Christmas trees from right here in Canada, which is where you are now. Which is Uh, where you are now. (laughs) I did laugh at that. That's funny. Um, and poor old Juliet's talking about being sad and lonely, and this is kind of, um, where, oh, we're about to get starting Jack Frost kind of sabotaging everything here in the workshop. Uh, meanwhile, Santa comes back, Neil is, like, super happy, uh, <laughs> Like, the one thing I say about, like, I like it when we get to that sort of reverse time situation and Neil's kind of back to being Neil. I don't like this happy Neil. It's, he just, he doesn't work. Yeah. Like, when he goes to hug Scott and Scott just shakes his hand. Um, Lucy's all excited. Um, just, I do like Juliet's line. Oh, it's tall people. Um, yeah. <laughs> And what's, I like it when uh, Alan Arkin and that wake up and everyone's around them. Welcome to Canada, eh? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, and they're complaining a little bit more about never seeing the baby. Um, they go into the workshop. Laura wants to make a doll. Uh, <laughs> just literally going through everything here. Um, Jack Frost, fun little bit when he's going through the magnifying glass. He's like, whoa. Um, there's vending machines, Red Deer, uh, Jack Frost and Lucy meet, uh, he wants him to be an elf, no, uh, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I'm just legitimately going through all this, um, there's a line about Tom Cruise being petite, these people are small, um, you've never been to Canada, well, this is Canada, this is what Canadians look like, um, maybe I'll cap it at Neil doing yoga, uh, (laughs) I've oh, gone, there's no better part. I've gone over so much crap here. Uh, <laughs> 90 minutes, man. 90 minutes. All right. We'll stop there. Hey, the sad thing is the first two-thirds of this movie is such a mess that normally, even if I watched this movie like a few days ago and I take my notes, 
you know, I'm like, okay, well, I didn't make a note on that, but I know where that is in the movie. I have absolutely no clue what has happened up until now or what hasn't happened. So I might end up covering things that are like 20 minutes away in the movie because it's just, it's just, yeah, who cares? A <laughs> couple of problems here. A couple? So a lot of problems here. Uh, I, although I just want to say I love some of the little lines Martin Short has, like, uh, you yeah. know, uh, Santa surrounds himself with an army of toy building yes men, <laughs> which is actually kind of true. Um, the farting thing. Yeah, they go too far in this. But Tim Allen finds a way to save it. Like in the first one, he had that line. It's like, uh, eat a little roughage, will you? And then this one, he has the next time we fly, go easy on the alfalfa. <laughs> Tim Allen has some good moments in this movie. I don't want to knock him too much. Uh, uh, One of the big problems I have here is the ages. Because the original movie, it took place eight years later. And they clearly state it's eight years later. Charlie is like 14 or 15 as opposed to being six and seven in the first movie. Uh, And then in this, they say something about it being... Not that it's being six years later. They say that Lucy is 12 now. Now, you pointed out in the last episode that Lucy says, when I turn seven implying she's probably six here she's 12 years old but there's another part in the movie where they say four years has passed Mm. so like their timelines don't even match up in this movie and if she's 12 that makes charlie 21 why is he getting permission to go snowboarding at christmas like (laughs) he's 21 year old man and even if this is four years later he's a 19 year old man like why is he getting permission from his dad in defense not defense but um i will say uh louise's brother uh lived at home for quite some time and he was like about that age 21 and uh, his mother was a controlling bitch. So, uh, yeah, he used to have to get permission for everything too. So I used to always be like, he's even, 21, he's 21. This is, yeah, anyway, sorry. He's not even getting permission from the parents that are there raising him. He's getting permission from his absentee father who still only sees him one day a year. I mean, the only <laughs> way I can explain this is like, he always spends Christmas Eve with his dad, but you don't get permission. It's just, be a man, Charlie. Come on. This is the, the real issue with this movie is Charlie's not manning up. That's the real problem here. <laughs> yeah, Daniel's um, man a little bitch. Yeah, exactly. This is what happens. He's just whipped. I mean, I we have real issues with Charlie here we need to address. Boo, Charlie. <laughs> um, also, at some point in this script, the screenwriters refer to Neil as a psychiatrist, but they wrote him as a yoga instructor. <laughs> because it's not just him doing yoga. Like, how was being a psychiatrist make you do yoga and he even has a line it's like let's all take a deep breath and take a feelings inventory this isn't a psychiatrist there's there's nothing here about the neil we had in the past strangely enough the only scene with neil i really like in this movie is the scene where it's near the end of the movie where it's like the alternate reality the the alternate 1985 north pole and he kind of has a backbone in that scene because we even mentioned in part two that we missed that banter between Scott and Neil, and we don't get a lot of it here. With Happy Neil, you don't really have anything to work with. Um, I got the same line here. It isn't very butt-like. Uh, I do like, though, I mean, you said Alan Arkin. You don't like the characters. I don't like the characters just because they come across as being really dumb, uh, and that's one of the, the things in contrast to the original movie, or even the second. Because, like, the first two movies, the first one, it wasn't, well, how come these people aren't believing in Santa? It's like, no, nobody in their right mind is going to believe he's Santa, regardless of the proof he presents. And the same thing in part two. You don't blame, uh, what's her name, Karen, his his wife? Laura. <laughs> uh, Juliet. No, Juliet. Oh, uh, oh uh, Adam. Whatever name. We'll call her Adam. <laughs> Adam. Adam or Karen. <laughs> Jenny. Uh, 
Yeah, Elizabeth Mitchell. You don't blame her for being like, you know, Scott, this isn't funny. I never want to see you again because nobody would believe him. Here, they're actually presenting this so a, a cover story that's even more implausible than I'm married to Santa Claus and Santa Claus is real and I live with elves at the North Pole. This is Canada and these really smart people, these these screen legends, just buy into this. It makes them come across as really dumb. And I feel like this movie would have somehow played better if they weren't played as dumb. And maybe they had – I mean I get it's kind of the joke and it's one of the few jokes in the movie that really works about it. it's Canada. This is what Canadians look like, which is hilarious. <laughs> but you can't get behind their characters because they're idiots. Yeah. Uh, but I do love – Alan Arkin has so many great lines in this movie where where he gives it his all too, and you know he, he probably filmed this after Little Miss Sunshine, so he came from his Oscar-winning performance, and then a week later he's like, "All right, what am I doing this week? I just gave the performance of my career. Throw my underwear in a bag, and that's what he's working with the script, <laughs> and yet he gives it his all. So like total props to Alan Arkin. Um, is that the way you pack? Do you throw all your underwear in a bag and just, you know, call it a day? I'm neat. I'd like fold it and pack and I'm proper. <laughs> You're a proper packer. I know you don't underwear. look at Ben Waterworth and think proper, but when it comes to packing, yeah. I'm proper. <laughs> I'm um, very organized. I, I do have to say the funniest part of this movie. Well, I'd say the second funniest part of this movie is the sign. It's not even a line of dialogue. And that's actually part of the problem of the movie is I love that part where it says genuine trees from Canada, which is where you are and uh, right here in Canada. That's hilarious, but nobody's speaking that line. So like how uninspired were the screenwriters that the best stuff they come up with are signs that are in the background. Yeah. It's just, it's lazy. Uh, Martin Short has that one line where he freaks out. I invented chill, which <laughs> yeah. to me, I want to hear Arnold Schwarzenegger say that when, <laughs> like, like in Batman and Robin, it feels like a line he would have had. Um, yeah, the, the whole "Have you ever been to Canada?" parts of it. Have you ever been to Canada? I've been to Rochester or whatever. It's like <laughs> Rochester's a great place, but it's not Canada, is it? <laughs> this is what Canadians look like. Um, I feel like that humor actually plays better here in Canada too just because Canadians hate the perception that the world has of us where they a lot of people think you know Canada is people riding around on dog sleds or whatever and all we do is eat bacon and Jamie just said she does that okay so thanks Jamie <laughs> other than Jamie other than Jamie most Canadians don't she got so we hate the- credit on this episode <laughs> <laughs> there we go because she said in the background I do <laughs> um but we hate the perception the world has of us because it's so inaccurate about Canadians. And funny enough, the A you had as a welcome to Canada, A would be one of the biggest problems Canadians would have because the word A isn't just something you throw in a sentence. It's in substitution of what Americans would say, you know, at the yeah. end of stuff. You know? Yeah. Like I just said, you know, there. So A is misused here, but they have things like the root sweater, which yes, I don't know if you have. Know, root no, root no, root I, no, we don't have, but I know what it is. Cause I, I been to roots when I've been to Canada. I think I bought a, yeah. I think I bought a roots jacket. I'm pretty sure I've got something. Roots. I've got, I've got the roots Canadian team, Canada gloves from Vancouver, 2010. I know I've got yeah. those, but um, yeah, I know. What yeah, roots it's is. like the most you know famous apparel maker in Canada. And the fact that they put that in there, another great thing. So even though I hate the a comment, I like like that Rochester thing and everything because he says, this is what Canadians look like. And they're just like, oh, okay. Because what Canadians' perception of the rest of the world is, is that the rest of the world's dumb enough to believe these things. And I do know of Canadians, this is no joke, 
And I'm not saying all Americans are dumb, but I'm saying well, <laughs> I know of Canadians that, <laughs> that have gone just as far south as like Minnesota or Illinois, which is like within you know a day's drive from here. And they will talk to Americans and be like, oh, yeah, you know, we sleep in igloos. You know, we, we have it. It's insulated and we got heaters in there. And it's like, I take the dog side and Americans are like, wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like they'll buy it and Canadians mess with Americans. So that, I think, plays well to Canadians. Um, Jack Frost getting aroused. Are we up to that part yet? If we're not, just let me speak about it anyways. <laughs> this we're is not, where go ahead. <laughs> yeah, he meets the in-laws. And he's like, uh, you know, say it again. No, the part earlier, she's like, Jack Frost nipping. And, and he just gets, like, really turned on for some reason. That's why he's not gay. Unless he's, he's bisexual. Because there's a scene when he's with these two male elves where he's being too flirtatious with them. So he's definitely oh, which bi. which part is that? Oh, when he sets fire. No, when he blows Frost into something. Like, he's blowing something because he's got excited for talking to these two elves. So, okay, he's well, bi. I'll rewatch this movie. In six years, when I get the courage up to do it again, he does and I'll musical theatre, and he's too flamboyant to be fully straight. Well, well, well Chris Pine was in the, uh, that Meryl Streep musical. Pierce Brosnan did a musical, but it's different because they were manly people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so Martin Short's not manly because he's Canadian, is what no, you're I'm saying. I'm saying Martin Short's not manly. I'm saying the <laughs> character of Jack Frost, like Martin Short, is Martin Short. Like he's awesome, whereas. Jack Frost yeah. is flamboyantly Jack Frost. Okay. He's flamboyant. Um, I, I like, though, you mentioned the line, which was, you just breeze through it so there's no context. But again, another funny thing he has is when he'll just constantly be talking to people, like, would you like to be my elf? And he's sitting there flirting <laughs> uh, with Mrs. Newman. And, uh, you know, it's like, sing the line again, sing the line. And she's singing. And then all of a sudden, like, he just awkwardly, like, he just goes from being, ha, 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 to all serious. Would you like to be my elf? Like, it, <laughs> and she's just like, uh, what? It's like, you heard me. <laughs> I like the bit with, uh, uh, with Lucy when he's, I forgot to mention, when he's like, you know, I'm Jack Frost, never heard of you. You know the mythical creature of the North? Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if we're at, the, we'll, we'll probably cover Jack Frost's sabotage after this of everything, but. I'll love when it, because legitimately all there is, yeah. is he does a few bits of sabotage here. So that, you've, you've caught, you've like basically jumped ahead a whole page on my notes here, so go for it. <laughs> yeah okay so uh there's one good like you said there's nothing good there it's just pointless scene after pointless scene of him sabotaging stuff and it's supposed to be stressing scott out, out and it isn't really yeah. and it should be having like if, if there's gonna be a dilemma of him not wanting to be santa it should be i don't think i can keep up like this anymore like i'm burnt out like i'm working full time i'm you know uh raising a kid i'm doing these podcasts with you which takes more work than work <laughs> uh especially when we record titanic and I'm going to see a part time. Yeah, I, <laughs> I am burnt out right now, completely burnt out, and I'm just waiting for Tim Allen week to be over. Can you just do you want, and, do you want to grab a snow globe and say, "I really wish I was never a podcast host yeah, exactly. anymore." I wish I was never on the Oz Network. That's the snow globe I need. But like, I know what that's like, so I kind of would identify with that. But they don't play it upright because it doesn't phase Scott. So that's just why none of it matters later on. But the scene that Martin Short has with Curtis where he's egging him on saying, oh, you don't actually know what the secret of the snow globe is. And he goes, I sure do. He goes, it's nothing special. When he keeps saying it's not special, it's like the single most important clause in the history of Christmas. He goes on this big rant and you don't think it's uh, special? He goes, because it isn't special. And he just keeps saying that over and over again. It's just hilarious because he's just so sincere. He's like, it's not special. It doesn't matter. And it's just, it's it, he's such a great character in such a terrible movie. Like, yeah. why didn't we make this Jack Frost the escape clause? And Tim Allen could be a supporting character. This could be like, 
like, you know, let's backdoor this to becoming a Martin Short franchise now. Like, I think that would have worked a little bit better. Uh, yeah, only other line I want to talk about in the sabotage scenes is just Martin Short's delivery where everything turns into a disaster. And all he does is just like with so much exuberance, he goes, I'll get a mop! <laughs> and like, that's... <laughs> That has more enthusiasm than any line Tim Allen delivers in this entire movie. There's a the bit where he's like, one of the sabotage bits, I think it's when he pushes like the tray of the kitchen stuff. He's like, oh, that's unfortunate. And just, yeah. the, way, like, <laughs> <laughs> just the way he does it. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. Um, and oh, the other bit, I've said, I mean, you literally have gone over a whole page. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> you know, like dumb old Alan Arkin when he's like, oh, you know, shouldn't these toys be on the shelves long ago? <laughs> like, yeah. oh no, we, we deliver on Christmas. Oh, like how would you not put two and two together? Like he looks like freaking Santa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, um, it's interesting. You said all that stuff about like the Canadian, that's kind of how Australia is too. Um, like with perceptions and we like to troll Americans as well because there are legitimately <laughs> Americans who think that we ride to work on kangaroos. So, um, there are people who have like made all these superimposed images of like people on kangaroos at the Sydney Opera House, and I know Americans who believe that to actually be true. Um, and then we have like the whole um, the drop bear story, which is hilarious because there's just this thing Australians do where we troll, not just Americans, just anyone, uh, where we go out into the bush and like, I'll oh, be careful for drop bears. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, oh, these bears, they'll drop from a tree and they'll attack you. And it's kind of like, you know, people have, like, photoshopped these images of koalas, like, with vicious teeth and claws. And there's all, like, these signs, like, the Drop Bear Advisory Council of Australia. And it's just it's just hilarious. People have gone to so much effort to make this believable. So, you know, spoiler alert, they're not real. But... Um... Think about how much fun we could have had in this episode instead of talking about the Santa Claus 3. If we just planned beforehand to confirm all these things are true and every American listening is like, I had no idea Canadians were so short. How tall are you, Colin? <laughs> There's, um, I need to find this article. There's like this thing, I think it's actually on the Australian Tourism website where they've got this page where it's like actual questions we get asked by Americans. And like, it's mm-hmm. legitimately like, oh, they're in Sydney and they're like, oh, yeah, um, I was hoping to go to Perth. How many, you know, could I just get there by nightfall? And that'd be like saying, like, oh, can I drive from Toronto to Vancouver in four hours or something like that? Like, they just, <laughs> they have no idea. Um, and just, just there's so dumb questions. But I think I've mentioned this movie heaps of times. One of my favorite movies, like, is Canadian Bacon, where they have so many things in that movie where they're like just taking the piss out of Canada. Um, yeah. and just, just the way they do that. Like, I love that, that sequence in it when they've stolen that truck and they've written all over it, like, Canada sucks, like, fuck you, Canada. And then Dan Aykroyd pulls him over and he's like, we've got a problem with this truck. And like, oh, we're sorry, officer, officer. <laughs> Here in Canada, things have to be bilingual. So make sure that you put it in French too. So it's all like, let Canadians suck. And like, you know, just yeah. like. Oh, it's so funny. I love it. Um, anyway, Canadian Bacon coming to 2018 in John Candy month. Um, we could do John Candy month. That would be a fun month. Uh, oh, all right. Fuck, yes. Cool runnings. We're about to do cool runnings. So, like, um, yeah, so really there is, like, nothing... All this stuff at the North Pole is pointless. We've just got grumpy Alan Arkin and Anne Margaret, who, like, even when she's grumpy, she's just delightful, is she not? She's such a smiley person, Anne Margaret. Um, delightful. Who's the gay one now? Um, <laughs> apparently people use that word gay. Okay, that's offensive, Ben. Um, <laughs> I love, like, them going into this hospital. It's not a hospital. It's a broom closet. Um, <laughs> then just, like, everything, I've here, everything goes crazy. Bears flying. Because uh, there's no... You're right. Like, Santa doesn't care that this is all going to hell. 
like it's just it's just so much pointless stuff. And then kind of we hear, you know, even the bit when he, like Jack Frost is talking to Santa and he's like, oh, I don't sweat the smaller stuff. It's, you know, stuff at home that's a problem. Um, and then it isn't a problem. Exactly. Oh, you broke the star on the tree and that's his breaking point? Which is like, like, it's so weird how they paint out like Scott as a dick in this movie when he's not doing anything wrong. Like, yeah. Like, okay, fair enough. He's not there for Mrs. Claus before she's giving a birth, but like... Does Mrs. Claus actually have an issue with this until her parents show up? She's kind of been, like, like made to think this because her parents are there. Like, she's not really complaining about this until they show up. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just weird, kind of, all this sort of stuff. Um, oh, so we get the snow globe room scene because, you know, Lucy needs to do something. Um, it's me hugging a snowman. Shut up. Uh- <laughs> Can you at least agree with me? Because I said this on the last episode. Lucy's more tolerable in this than she was in the second one. Oh, there's maybe one or two scenes, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one or two more than the last one. There's, um... Is there a bit of a plot hole here when, like, she says... When she's going through these snow globes? That's like the one you gave Charlie. He didn't give it to Charlie. Bernard gave it to Charlie. Bernard, yeah. Fuck Bernard you, has to be written out of this movie. No mention of Bernard. Something really bad went down well, between apparently- Santa and Bernard. Apparently, he's in the novelization, according to <laughs> trivia. <laughs> and I, there's a fucking novelization. God, can't read. Um, <laughs> so Jack Frost, meanwhile, sneaks into this room. He gets a globe. Uh, and I've written here with the tree setting up. Why are they setting a Christmas tree up? They're at the North Pole. This is like Christmas is 24-7. Yeah. This tree should be up all the time. Like, come on. Um... And, like, just kind of the back and forth about it being, oh, it's always busy season. Because uh, then they're getting all pissed off at him because he's on the phone. He's freaking Santa at, like, December 23rd. <laughs> no, you can't be busy. I'm here with the in-laws. Like, fuck off. If it was Scott's yeah. parents, maybe. But, um, what? <laughs> this? Oh, okay, you're saying Lucy's better in this movie? This scene here when she catches Jack Frost... You can't do that. You'll be on the naughty list for the rest of your life. Oh, my <laughs> God. And then, Mum, Dad, help! And they show up, and then Neil and Laura get frozen. Uh, <laughs> which, I mean, that sums up Wendy Crewson and Judge Reinhold in this movie. <laughs> well, you forget about the one great line she has. He stole Uncle Scott's snow globe, and he knows it isn't his! <laughs> And then dumbass Lucy, well, I won't have to freeze you. You get in the closet with them. Like, yeah, that's the way you just come out from, Jack Frost. Um, <laughs> but I do, I, I love the line there, though, from, uh, you know, again, we're just giving so much praise to Martin Short. We're just like, what are you complaining about? Kids all the time beg me to freeze their parents. <laughs> I do like that. Um, oh, and the Dick Allen, Allen, Adam, uh, Allen Arkin line when he's on the ladder and he's like saying to Scott Calvin, like, oh, this place isn't up to code. <laughs> like, okay. Who are you? Just sort of, this is the normal. <laughs> um, yeah, the tree falls over. They smash the thing. Oh, no. Juliet's upset. Um, <laughs> just going over so much here. Um, oh, and then we get the the big fight that we've all been waiting for between Santa and the parents of Juliet. Maybe if you worked all the time, you know, you wouldn't have known. <laughs> we invited you here for support. We're leaving. Maybe I shouldn't have come. Maybe I shouldn't have come either. Don't say anything you'll regret. I do love the, the calmness of Jack Frost here, though, like when they're all yelling at each other and just like him just mm-hmm. standing there. Um, 
And then, so he, the the whole the thing that's all been leading up to, the best 10 minutes of this film. So basically, Jack Frost takes out Santa, he calms him down after his fight with the parents-in-laws, gives him a present, and he basically, you know, gets him to say, I wish I was never Santa, you know, and then we get this sort of flash sort of back to Christmas Eve 12 years ago. Maybe I'll stop there, because I think we'll talk positives mm-hmm. about this sequence. So yeah, all that crap that happens before the only good 10 minutes of this film. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have much left in my notes either. Okay, cool, the fact that <laughs> <laughs> when, when the tree falls, like, this is the breaking point, as I said. The tree falls, and the star breaks. Ooh. And this is like, it's like a family member died, is everybody's expression. I mean, there are better ways you could have told this story. What if Scott had just lost it? You know, just... If he had just started screaming, you know, I'm under so much pressure. I understand it's a kid's movie. Santa Claus 1 was a kid's movie, and there were heavy scenes in there with people arguing. Santa Claus 2 was a kid's movie, and there were heavy scenes with people arguing. You had a star break on the floor. I mean, he can (laughs) conjure up a new one out of magic if he wanted to. He could conjure up two horses and a sleigh out of magic when he was in the middle of the desantification process. He can't fix this star? Like, maybe he's not the good guy here. Maybe he is a terrible husband. I don't know. Uh, it's just so weak. There's there's just nothing happening other than the fact that when uh, why do I keep forgetting your name, Juliet, um, Principal Newman, when she freaks out over the star breaking, that is pregnancy. <laughs> so I mean, Jamie did have moments where just nothing happened. You he's talking about people crying over spilled milk. She would spill milk. And then she would burst into tears. I don't know why that happened. I'm so hey, happy. that's a sad thing. If that's the only milk you got left in the carton, you can't have a coffee. I'd cry over that. Well, pregnant woman's got lots more milk where that came from. Um, well, look, but... you just pull out a boob and put some in the... Yeah, true. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I told the subtle joke and you went too far. <laughs> Have you ever tried it? Have you ever tried breast milk? Be honest. No, 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 no. I will say, though, I'm not going to mention any... Well, not like they listen to the show anyways, but I do have a niece that, uh, you know, were, they were watching Casper, and he had a bottle there and tried it and thought it was formula. Like, hmm, it's not bad. And he goes, uh, that came out of my boob. <laughs> Kind of like, I remember like um, when, you know, mum and dad would look after my sister's, you know, babies and, you know, still technically one is a baby, but like she would like have to leave in the fridge, like obviously breast milk for Link, I guess, when he was growing up. And I'd always look at it and go, oh, that's so disgusting. Like, I'm not really grossed out by much, but I'd just stare at like this little container of milk knowing yeah. it came from my sister's boob and I'd just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is truly a disgusting thing that only babies can uh, appreciate, apparently. Um, but, I mean, the, the only thing I have here is just this twist really is good. It would really work in a movie. If the Part of the problem is you, we just covered probably 20 minutes worth of film here, and that's the problem. There's nothing that happened in this 20 minutes, and this twist would work. So why not introduce it? halfway through the movie as opposed to two-thirds of the way through the movie give yourself even an extra 10 minutes of the real world scott calvin regular tim allen having to adjust to life see more of what's going on and also if if his motivation is i really wish i wasn't santa i think this twist works but his motivation isn't he's tricked into doing it yeah so it's not like you care because even when he flips back it's just because he tricked the other guy again i mean Every hero character has to learn a lesson. He had to learn a lesson in the first one to not be selfish and only want the child for himself, you know? His lesson to be learnt here is don't be tricked by Martin Short. <laughs> like, th- there's there's nothing there. It's just, there's so many minor mistakes here that any person watching this could pick out and say, 
you don't even have to change much about the movie. Change one or two little things, and you have something that is savable. And you just you can't save it the way that they wrote this. Yeah, completely agree. Absolutely agree with you. And um, it, because like it's it's weird to just like I mean I'm defending now the second movie at least kind of in that like the desantification stuff like it it, it you kind of did in even though it's dumb that it happened so quickly but like he had to get married otherwise you know he because he wanted to still be Santa. Whereas, you know, yeah, yeah, this should be a case of, like, oh, I don't want to be anymore, so this is kind of, like, the whole thing of what would happen. So, yeah, it's, it's, it is dumb how it happens. But, I mean, it does, I guess, I, I enjoyed this part of the movie when kind yeah. of we're, we're back on the, you know, that very first, you know, sequence where, hey, you, and he falls off the roof. How does Martin mm-hmm. Short know that that's what happened to get him off the roof? Um, but... Like, well, I that- mean, when... when- when the first council meeting happens afterwards and they see a completely different guy there, they probably ask some of the elves some questions. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just looking here quickly at the, the scene from the first movie because the thing that I'm kind of looking at this sort of scene in this one is like, where was the snowman in the first movie? And I'm just looking here at the scene. Yeah. There's no snowman in the first movie. And there's a kind of a bit here you can sort of see there's like a, I guess, some sort of park or something maybe next to their house, which maybe it's there, but there's a fence in the way and... I'm just being really nitpicky here. but um, I'm sure all the five-year-olds watching this on opening day were picking up on those plot holes. <laughs> Where are the snowmen? Um, but anyway, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Martin Shaw quickly goes and puts on the coat. Um, and then, basically, uh, we're zoomed into a different time frame. We're kind of, you know, in modern day 2006, but without Scott as Santa. Now, I... The thing is, like, did he automatically become Santa when he put the coat on? Because I guess we kind of see that in a minute when we get the the next scene. But it's kind of weird how he puts it on and straight away. But, um, yeah, I I like this kind of whole thing about how, like, what would happen. So it is now, um, you know, 2006, but he's older-looking Tim Allen uh, because, you know, this is what Scott Calvin, I guess, would be like uh, had he not, um, you know, become Santa. And we kind of see him at the office uh, well, can I just say with, uh, I don't know the actor's name, uh, but he plays Kripke in the Big Bang Theory. I don't know if you watched the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I do know him from that, but I watched the TV show Speechless starring a friend of, uh, one of our shows, Mini Driver. So <laughs> I wrote, he plays her husband on the show and I wrote him in my notes here as Mr. Mini Driver. John Ross Bowie is his name. Obviously, David's mm-hmm. long lost son. Um, but <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, he's literally in a, ble- he's only in it for what, two seconds in this movie? Um, so there's Kripke from the Big Bang Theory, but we're basically, you know, Scott doesn't know what's going on. It's like, why are we here on Christmas Eve? We're always here on Christmas Eve. You know, where are my family? I don't really know. You rarely talk about them. So, uh, then we see Scott driving in a Ferrari. What a beautiful car that is. Um, (laughs) goes on to, uh, Laura's house and there's poor old Laura looking disheveled and looking quite terrible, to be honest. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You know, then we see Charlie who, well, what are you doing here? They're all just like, what the hell are you doing here? You're never here. Charlie leaves and goes off. And then, you know, where's where's Carol Newman? Charlie's principal? Oh, I think she left. <laughs> like, I don't know where she is. Uh, like, where's where's Neil and Lucy? At the North Pole. Like, what? The North Pole? And we find out that Frost has turned the North Pole into a theme park. Now, uh, I, I the thing I have to laugh about this whole sequence is that can we just remember that this is made by Disney, who arguably run the most famous theme parks in yeah. the world. <laughs> so, like, is this a subtle little dig at their own Disneyland? Because, <laughs> like, if you go to a theme park and just what this is exactly what theme parks are like. And I'm not against theme parks. I like theme parks. I don't like rides, but I like theme parks. 
Um, but we kind of get like this is I think fun stuff though, like you know Martin Short turning the North Pole into like a resort theme park. Um, even though it's like the smallest freaking theme park in the world, <laughs> would you not be disappointed flying all the way to the North Pole for that thing? It's like as big as my lounge room. Um, <laughs> and I, I just love a lot of the lines though, that you kind of get the overdub from Martin Short, you know, remember how much your parents love you depends on how much they spend on you. Uh, and what was that <laughs> one? Like shave a reindeer for $5, $5. Yeah. <laughs> how do they make a profit there? They've got... 14 people that are able to fit there. If every single one of them shaves a reindeer, they've made $70? What? Uh, and I just, I also like the little subtle things about, like, you can permanently be put on the nice list if you pay. Like, it, like that's how it would work, isn't it? Like, if this was a real thing, that is legitimately how it would work. Because um, no one knows who Scott is, so we get random Curtis trying to pawn off some products, and we get the recordable pen. I want one of those. That's cool. I could do a whole podcast while writing. Um, <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Then we uh, obviously get kind of confrontation here between uh, Jack Frost and uh, Sam. Well, Scott, he's not Sam here anymore. And, uh, you know, we sort of get the Jack Frost. Oh, I was wondering when you'd show up. And, you know, all I had to do was get you to say, I don't want to be Santa anymore. And it's like, oh, could you say that again? And of course, you know, conveniently records in the pen. One thing I just want to say about this. So for, for Scott, it has literally been the space of seconds that he's kind of here. Yeah. So this is all seconds to him. Jack Frost literally has lived this for 12 years. So, like, I love it when kind of we get to the bit where they go back to normal, that it's like, yeah, it's only been a matter of seconds, fine. But, like, should Jack Frost kind of not be happy in a way? Because, like, he's actually got to experience this for 12 years. So, he's, like, think about this. Yeah. If you got some moment in your life that you got to go back to never emailing me about joining Survivor Oz, like, your whole life could have been amazing. Like, it could have been, you could have started <laughs> Colin Hilding Oz, and, like, you know, you could be, like, this most successful guy in the world. And then all of a sudden, you get taken back to this time. Like, you'd be like, oh, well, I got to live that for 12 years. That was kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, who knew that the downfall of my life would be hosting with Ben Waterworth? <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's kind of there, but I also like, I've written a few of the other bits here. The six o'clock elf toss. Uh, <laughs> but uh, then we obviously get this, um, you know, big elaborate, uh, you know, oh, he's definitely straight. Um scene of him being in musical theatre. I love IMDB here. They've pointed out about three times. Jack Frost musical number North Pole, North Pole is a parody of Frank Sinatra's New York... No. You don't say. And I love that they've literally written the lyrics here. Start spreading the news by jet or by sleigh. You want to be a part of it. North Pole, North Pole. (laughs) It's like, this is legitimately the stuff we used to write for Survivor Oz parody songs when it came to um, Survivor seasons. But I love the elves. Like, they're all so depressed like when yeah. they're doing the like, piano elf especially <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of like it's um what's the is it jingle bells or whatever it is when that one's dancing or whatever it's kind of like it's actually a kind of catchy version of whatever that is um but yeah obviously this kind of leads to Scott jumping on stage he's obviously gone to Lucy who doesn't know uh, this is where we said we like Neil and Lucy's kind of all right when she's a bit of a bitch like can I just say that when she's not so like <laughs> doe-eyed child and she's just like dick I want to do this dad um, so she sneaks off, gets the glow, brings her back into the crowd. Scott's bashing on, uh, Frost on the stage. All the kids are loving it because they think this is part of the show. And then he does what he did to him about five minutes earlier, ten minutes earlier, tricks him into, uh, holding the globe and then he plays the recording and then we 
go back to the the night of 1994 again. And I like this kind of how they've edited it so it looks like, you know, there they are again. It's clever, actually, how they do this. Um, and then we kind of see the scene from the first movie with little Charlie, who, again, is in it more than older Charlie. And everything goes back to normal. We get sucked back to the North Pole because everything is back to how it was. But, I mean, again, I've probably jilled over a few bits here and there, but I this is the best part of the whole movie, I think. No, I agree. Um, and... There are still some problems here. Um, even though I really like this North Pole stuff, and I think this is one of the reasons I continue to watch this movie, not every year, but I'll say this is probably the fourth time I've seen it in the last 10 years, because I did wait a year to see it. Uh, I always look forward to this North Pole, you know, uh, alternate North Pole reality stuff that uh, Martin Short has, because it's a lot of fun. And, you know, his musical number's great. <laughs> um I find it to be very masculine, very straight. Uh, Stop spreading the news. Oh, look at those tits. They're huge. He was talking about the reindeer there. Uh, but um, the the biggest problem is, is that in order for this movie to matter and for you to care about the characters... And this is what I thought when I heard what the plot was that it was going to be was It's a Wonderful Life. You know, he thinks my life isn't working out. I wish that this isn't the way my life had gone. He was tricked into doing it. The second he switches back, he's like, I didn't want this. Let's switch back. And he's just he spends the entire movie trying to figure out how to do it. But what is his hero moment? What drives him to I need to change things back? It's not my son hates me again. My ex-wife and her husband split up and their lives fell apart. It's not, I'm just this shallow, superficial person who doesn't have anything. It's not, I lost my wife and my baby that's, you know, days away from being born. It's, what did he do to the North Pole? <laughs> so again, like, if this, the point of this movie is supposed to be about a guy juggling his home life and his work life, which would have worked in this movie, make that his dilemma. Have him be a little stressed out about work life, you know, and home life in the early parts of the movie. And then when he switches, almost have it be like a load off for him. Oh, I'm back to normal. Oh, I could just, you know, go about my work. And look at this. I got a Ferrari. It's great. You drag this out for an extra 10 minutes and then you just have things slowly be like, but wait, things aren't right with Charlie, but wait, things aren't right here. No, I have to fix this. It's just what he took. Even when he looks at the flyer, he's like, he turned the North pole into an amusement park. Well, now I got to stop this guy. Yeah. Like it's just, it, it doesn't work unless he cares about his life. So, the whole movie's thrown out the window by this. Uh, but I still do enjoy the stuff at the North Pole. Um, I love the scene with Neil and Scott where he freaks out on because it's probably the one genuine scene in this movie where you actually do where, where somebody is giving Scott a hard time and you get it. Because even if Scott what if if he's saying to him in this alternate world where he never became Santa, listen, Charlie never wanted me to be his dad. He wanted you to be his dad. And you know how Charlie disliked his dad in the original movie. You know how uh, how much of an impact that has, knowing that it's probably the same way when he's Santa. Do you really think that Charlie accepts Neil anymore when he's like, you don't compare to Santa Claus, buddy? You know, Mr. Yoga Feelings Inventory. <laughs> so I actually feel like Neil probably has the strongest dramatic scene in this whole movie, and I wish we had a little bit more of that. Um, another big plot hole here. If Charlie never sees him, and Charlie says that to his face, like, ah, oh, you never see me at Christmas. You never see me, period. When, why do I always forget his wife's name? <laughs> I forget both of his wife's names. Right. Uh, Laura. When Laura's talking, well, first of all, can we just, 
mention she has a name tag on there. Where I think they're implying she's either a cleaning lady or a waitress or something. Dawn but she's still living in the mansion. Like, yes. <laughs> it's, it's a nice house. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that he doesn't know anything about Charlie's life. And yet, she says to him, it's like, what do you mean where's Neil and Lucy? You know where they go on Christmas Eve. So he doesn't know anything about his son's life, but he keeps up to date on his ex's ex New Year's Eve plans or Christmas Eve plans. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just, I wish that there was some other way of doing this. Plus, how does it make sense if, if the whole idea of the escape clause is, I wish I had never been Santa? Those are the words they speak. Well, this escape clause does nothing to change that. <laughs> you just get your life back however many years later. You still remember being Santa. I mean, if you hate being Santa that much, it's like, fine, you could have your life back, but there's a twist. You'll never know what your life was up until now, and you have to keep all the bad memories of being Santa. Yeah. So even that in the escape clause is just a nightmare. It's, just, it's so many little mistakes in this movie that I just don't get why somebody didn't sit down and let's take 10 minutes and work these problems out. Um, he gets a very quick flight to the North Pole too, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's nighttime, and we went through this in the first movie. You know, what time would it be when all these kids are awake and Santa's delivering presents? I mean, 5.30, 6 o'clock at the earliest. Maybe it takes him half an hour to get to Laura's house. It's 6 p.m. He goes to the airport, maybe 7 when he catches a flight. I mean, he's at the North Pole when? Well, and, like, and winter this... time, too, at the North Pole. It's pitch black, basically, all the time, right? There's only, like, three hours yeah, of so daylight. This may not even be Christmas Day. That could be December 27th, <laughs> and it's just an all-week party at the North Pole. I mean, maybe it does make sense. Um, the rave. Another, pro- another problem with this is that the whole thing with Laura and Neil splitting up, how is Scott's life, it, Scott's life being the only thing that changes, this movie's basically saying the only reason a family would ever stay together is because the ex-husband is Santa Claus and he's that amazing. So, like, <laughs> we're giving no credit here to their life and their marriage. If they ever did want to make a fourth one, we know that Scott's the only reason that they're still together. Um... And also, how does he get into the North Pole on Last Minute's Note? Like, this is supposed to be the most exclusive thing in the world. This is like Jurassic World or Disney World, as you said. You know, I don't even have to book a ticket. I could be a grown man and just walk in there day of. And With I can just, like, kids. roam around. Like, you know, it's pretty Yeah. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many kids are missing out on Christmas because Scott Calvin had to be there? Um, and the problem is he never regrets uh, or he instantly regrets the change. Like, you really needed some scenes of where he slowly is like, well, I don't think this is the life for me. Make it It's a Wonderful Life. It just it happened way too late in the movie. And uh, even the fact that when Jack Frost changed, it's just back to being a trick, and it's kind of a lame trick with the talking pen. Like, how, how really uh, poor, how poor is this escape clause when somebody could say it and not mean it, and as you said at the beginning, there's no you know extra writing in here of you know by accepting this you 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 know blah 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 blah, and that you don't even have to verbally say it that a recording we played of you is just it's so weak. Casper's crying because he's just hating us. Yes, so uh, I just heard that. We're at 82 minutes here, Colin. So I think we can wrap all this up in eight minutes and do everything <laughs> here. I'm feeling the vibe here. So uh, yes, things get changed back. Um, I do. What is um, Frost line when he's like? Um, Oh, that was uh, not as how I worked out. It w- thought it would work out, or something. The way he says it. Um, oh, that didn't work out how I hoped. Just, just the way he delivers it. Just kind of just the way he does it. Um, and you know, we get the makeup scene between Santa and Juliet because you know they were so drawn apart from each other. Um, it takes a few minutes to see the truth in a lifetime. I love you. Um, finally, 
uh, Alan Arkin and whatever, I can't remember, Margaret, whatever, <laughs> and Margaret, I've forgotten her name already, I love the woman, but anyway. Um, Mark, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Uh, they discovered that he's Santa. Uh, <laughs> took you long enough. Um, I'm father-in-law Christmas. I'm mother-in-law Christmas. <laughs> Shut up. That's just dumb. <laughs> Sorry if you like that. Um, Charlie's just is all of a sudden showed up, of course. Danielle's dumped him on Christmas. Uh, <laughs> something like that. Where is Danielle? I want to see Danielle. She's probably grown up and hot now, but, you know, whatever. She's not in on the secret of Santa. Oh, yeah, dumb old parents, huh? Um, so, and then they go to arrest um, Jack Frost. Um, oh, and, oh, sorry. Oh, no, Neil and um, Thingo are still frozen, aren't they? The Elphuses. Thingo? <laughs> <laughs> Laura. The Elphuses come in and arrest Jack Frost, uh, to which then we get the the Council of Mythical Beings are still there. Um, Martin Short says, I can't unfreeze them without me freezing. Why don't they force him to? That could be your punishment. Like, why are they all so concerned for him all of a sudden? Oh, well. Um, then we learn that the powers of the mythical beings can't work on other mythical beings. So all of a sudden, who's going to save the day? You know, we could just put old Neil and Laura in a microwave, put him out in the sun for a little bit. You know, they could thaw out. No, here comes Lucy, the warmest hugs around. And what's she going to do? Is she going to hug Neil and Laura? That's probably the thing I'd go for. No. That would make sense. Let's hug Jack Frost and turn him into (laughs) some weird-looking 50s dude. Uh, I do like his lines, though, when he's like, what are you going to do, adorableize me? Yeah. <laughs> and then it, it's a little bit creepy when she's hugging him, and he's like, oh, it's all mushy inside. I'm like, hmm, shouldn't have said that. Um, but then he's I not like gay. He's a, he's a potential predator for children, but he's not gay. <laughs> That's okay. He can be a predator for children as long as he's not gay. Um, oh. It's a Disney movie. Come on now. We can't be gay. <laughs> Um, but I like it when he's like, oh, it's all tropical inside. What is he like? Manuel, get me my... I don't know if he says Manuel. I'm just doing Faulty Towers there. Um, but then it's like magical hugs and he's all better and everyone loves him. Let's ignore all the crimes that he committed. Uh, Neil and Laura get uh, thawed out. Yay, happy ending. Um, we then get the bunny horny for Anne Mitchell, which is so... What is with this end scene? You've got your profile did picture. You, did you call her? Did you call her Anne Mitchell? <laughs> I don't even know who she is at this point. Adam. Uh, <laughs> she's getting all snuggly with the bunny. Alan Arkin's putting his head on Mother Nature's boobs. Like, what is it implied here at the end that they're like got an open relationship? They're going to hook up with these people. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then all of a sudden, uh, Juliet gives birth. Um, there's a weird freeze frame. We're back to telling Abigail Breslin the story about the baby. In comes Santa. It's Buddy Claws. Wasn't that one of those dog movies that they released at one point? Santa Paws, <laughs> Buddy Paws, all those fucking dog movies that were popular. Not Snow Dogs, Noah. Um, and it's an ugly baby. It smiles. That's the end. We get some kind of funny <laughs> bloopers. Um, I, I do like the bit it's where Tim Allen is like, is that acting somewhat funny to you? <laughs> <laughs> um, the end. That's the Santa Claus three. <laughs> uh, so one real problem I have here. Uh, I'm not going to say problem, but it's more a question. And it maybe it could have been a funny joke, even if inappropriate in a kids movie. You could have worked around it. He says to his in laws, "No, I want you to know what I really do for a living. I'm going to show you. We shouldn't have secrets." 
So in no way are they thinking at this point he's Santa Claus. Otherwise, they would have mentioned that up until now. So when he says, follow me in our workshop, what are they expecting to see? Like a bunch of tiny Canadians cooking crystal meth? Because <laughs> they're just like, oh, okay. Like, what? W- where would your mind be going if, you know, you're oh, in-law or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's either that or child slavery. I mean, but you know certain things are going through their heads at that point. Um I, I don't know. I kind of like the whole I'm uh, I'm father-in-law Christmas and I'm mother-in-law Christmas. I kind of like that, but it's it's partly just Alan Arkin's delivery, and it's this whoa he does over and over. I don't know if you caught that. He's like whoa, whoa, yeah, that would make me father-in-law Christmas. Whoa, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> just keep saying whoa. It's um, now the thing with Jack Frost. This is maybe the biggest plot hole of the movie here. Uh, Jack Frost freezes laura i got her name right and neil (laughs) um but the reason that they can't just be defrosted by any other means is because he said the only way that they'll defrost is if i defrost and i'm not defrosting and you know even mother nature says i can't use magic on another legendary creature or whatever okay so if he freezes something and it's frozen that way permanently unless he thaws himself what about this volcano in hawaii (laughs) Like, is it frozen permanently now? I mean, he, no wonder he's kicked out of the cancel. He's wreaked havoc around the world that's that's irreversible. I mean, this man, yeah, he deserves to go to prison for what he's done. Um, it's uh, so many problems with this movie. The, the fact that it ends in a hug, I don't know. In a way, it's kind of a nice ending, but is it a Santa Claus ending? Is it, you know, as big as what we've had so far? Uh the fact is, it doesn't. The, the The end of this movie does not come down to Scott Calvin. It does not come down to his family, his wife, his in laws, uh, Curtis, or anybody. The hero of the movie is Lucy, and it's the fact that <laughs> she hugs. So, don't get what this is implying. Is she some type of magical creature? Like, did Laura and Neil, you know, have sex one day at the North Pole? Like, uh, you've never watched the show Doctor Who, but there's like a couple who travels with the doctor and they end up giving birth to somebody who has like time powers and stuff. And the idea is it's like, well, we had our wedding night inside the TARDIS. <laughs> so is this how she becomes a magical creature? Because like her hug can defrost Jack Frost. And here's the other big problem. If the whole idea of Jack Frost is that he brings in winter and cold weather and stuff like that, is winter forever gone? Like, are we going to have, <laughs> you know, ice caps melting around the world and winter is no more? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this is like preseason Game of Thrones, and it's just winter's coming. We swear it'll be back one day. Uh, does Jack? Does such Jack a Frost? Disaster. Is it like the same thing? So, like, if you push Jack Frost off your roof, do you then become Jack Frost? <laughs> like, is this what it's yeah, setting up? Done. Well, there would have been a great twist to the ending. It's like Lucy, you know what to do, and then she just pulls out a knife and stabs him <laughs> through the heart, and she's the new Jack Frost. And she's like, "I'll defrost you, mom and dad, in due time." You know. <laughs> There are so many. We, we've we've basically spent ninety minutes here rewriting this movie, and it took us ninety minutes to come up with a better movie. And I think it would be better in every way. All the suggestions we gave. We have, we have basically crossed the ninety minute threshold right now. So I, I take that as a win. We've technically talked about the movie for ninety minutes, yeah. so it's kind of the closing yeah. stuff here. But um, and we've nothing good about Elizabeth Mitchell in this. We have. I mean, she's kind of there though. Like she's not as good as she was. I mean, she's still good. She's Elizabeth Mitchell, but I mean. She doesn't do much this movie, though, I guess. She screams on the way to the, the <laughs> elfirmary. 
Well, isn't she a um, uh, fertility doctor in Lost? So shouldn't she be like, you know, yeah. doing this... Um, uh, did you want to talk about Elizabeth Mitchell while we're here or not really? <laughs> well, I was just noticing that, you know, we talked all about her in the last one and here we got nothing to say. It's all Martin Short here. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, critically, can we just say this is a uh, movie that was nominated for six Golden Raspberry Awards. Um, it was nominated for Worst Actor, Tim Allen. Worst Screen Couple, which I think this is a bit... I think Tim Allen drags it down, but Martin Short, Tim Allen... Uh, worst supporting actor, Martin Short. He's the best thing about this movie. Oh. Come on. Uh, worst prequel or sequel, and the worst excuse for family entertainment. Um, <laughs> I want to see what beat it because they didn't. It didn't win any. Oh, it's good. Uh, do you have that with you, or? Oh no, I thought you were going through the box office. Now I just found it funny what this lost to at the box office. All oh, right, no, I'll uh, pull it up. Did it? Uh, I saw that before. What it lost to? Hang on a minute. Where was that? Um, do you want to do the box office in while I find out the golden raspberry things here? Because I kind of I'm intrigued at what it yeah. lost to. Yeah, you do do the box office. All right. So um, I mean, first of all, I just want to dispel the myth that this movie was a flop in comparison to the other Santa Claus movies. It's clear why they ended it with this trilogy. Um, I think Tim Allen also. I mean, he had a pretty hefty paycheck at this point, or even when you're still going you know, a year or two later into Wild Hogs, but. Uh, the movie made a decent amount of money for a kid's Christmas movie that had a budget of, like, what was the budget of this movie? Um, 12. 40, 50 million dollars. Oh, no, hang on. What am I saying 12 from? Uh, 12 million, apparently. 12 million. So this budget is severely reduced from the other ones, and it's all effects of the North Pole, and it made domestically $84 million. Uh, strangely enough, none of these movies made a lot of money overseas, but over $100 million, $110 million worldwide. So it had a decent amount of box office. I mean, there's been Christmas movies that have come out since then that made less than this and are considered a hit. So for the budget, I mean, we're looking at almost 10 times the budget worldwide. It's still a hit, but, you know, critically, no, not so much. Um, just going through, Yeah, you'll, you'll, I'll let you take that. But uh, going through the box office here, uh, open number two at the box office to Borat. It made $19 oh. million and Borat made $26 million. What made it even more surprising was that, and I remember this weekend, and uh, it, at the time, people were saying, well, the Santa Claus 3 flopped because of this incredible success of Borat. Santa Claus 3 opened in almost 3,500 theaters, flushed away, which was from the makers of Chicken Run. Mm-hmm. Uh, that opened in 3,700 theaters and made $18 million. Borat played in 837 theaters and made $26.4 million. Wow. So kind of crazy. I mean, I wonder if this movie would have been a bit of a bigger hit if its only competition was flushed away in the second weekend of Saw 3. Uh, because, I mean... 110 million worldwide is not bad for a bad movie, but 26.4 million for 837 theaters. Like, I think that was unheard of at the time. Can we just point out that this has a 15% of Rotten Tomatoes, but the game on the Game Boy Advance has a 40%, according to IGN. Oh, um, we'll cover that. Day. <laughs> the verdict, the Santa Claus 3, the escape clause is a harmless, forgettable game that isn't particularly good or bad. Anyone older than the target age will find themselves bored by the generic gameplay and repetitive design. At the same time, little kids, especially those who are fans of the film, could do worse for a licensed GBA game. It never really rises above its med- mediocrity, but it's not an awful game either. There you go. Wish we could say that about the movie. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I've got the raspberries, but uh, the reviews here, yeah, 15%. 
on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, 3.7 out of 10. The critical consensus says, playing Jack Frost as an evil cross between Liza Minnelli and Liberace, Martin Shaw. See, Liberace, look, there you go. See, thank you. It's not just me who sees it. Um, Martin Shaw. Well, Liza Minnelli likes, you know, uh, banging men too, so I guess we're, both we're of them speak to that. Bisexual, see? Bisexual. Um, <laughs> bisexual colonies when a person likes both men and women. I, um, I, yes, I get it. I've listened with you for many years. <laughs> wow. Um, Martin Short is a welcome presence, but this tired series continues drawing from its bag of bland gags and dumb slapstick. Uh, on Metacritic, the film has 32 out of 100. Uh, Erid D. Snyder. A reviewer wrote that Alan did the Santa Claus the first time with enthusiasm, the second time with affection, and the third time with a paycheck. Uh, Kylie, that's so true. Kylie Smith wrote, oh, the Kylie Smith, uh, we're getting a turkey and a ham for the holidays. Santa's so dumb, he should be demoted to cleaning up after Jeffrey the Giraffe at Toys R Us. Uh, and Manhola Dargis, the Manhola Dargis, Manhola Dargis. Dis- dismissed the film as squeaky clean, but you might die of boredom. Uh, <laughs> oh, Mark, you got to read the last one. Here. Mark Camodi of BBC Radio 5 Live, the cinematic equivalent of tertiary syphilis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, I remember that Aaron, Aaron D. Snyder review around the time this movie came out, or maybe within the year before I saw it. And honestly, I believe that's probably the truest review I've ever read. That first time with enthusiasm, second time with affection, third time for a paycheck. Like, that is the real problem with this movie, is that we didn't get an enthusiastic Tim Allen. I, um... Yeah, I hope that made the DVD cover. The cinematic equivalent of tertiary syphilis. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, the Golden Raspberry is the 27th Golden Raspberry Awards. Um, so, for worst actor... Actually, Tim Allen was not only nominated for the Golden... Uh, the Santa Claus 3. He was also nominated for The Shaggy Dog and Zoom. Um, so he had three nominations. Oh, two superior there. films. Um, he was up against Nicolas Cage in The Wicker Man, Larry the Cable ah. Guy in Larry the Cable Guy Health Inspector, and the Golden Raspberry's favourite, Rob Schneider, for The Benchwarmers and Little Man, but lost out to Marlon Wayans and Sean Wayans in Little Man. Um, I've never seen Little Man. I, I like white chicks, but I've never seen Little Man. Um, Martin Short was up against David Thules for Basing Sick 2 and The Omen. Ben Kingsley in Blood Rain, and Danny DeVito in another Christmas movie, Deck the Halls, but all lost out to M. Night Shyamalan in Lady in Water. Uh, <laughs> which he only ever plays cameos in those, doesn't he? Um, yeah. Kate Bosworth was nominated for Lois Lane, Worst Supporting Actress, really. Oh, um, not fair. So, uh, Tim Allen, Martin Short, Worst Screen Couple, up against Nicolas Cage and his bear suit for The Wicker Man, Hillary and Haley. <laughs> Hillary and Haley Duff in Material Girls. Sharon Stone's lopsided breasts in Basic Instinct <laughs> <laughs> But lost to Sean Wayans and either Kerry Washington or Marlon Wayans in Little Man. Um, worst prequel or sequel, so I was up against Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties. I felt we talked about that in a Lost episode recently. Big Mama's House 2, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre of the Beginning, but Lost 2, Basic Instinct 2. Uh, and the worst excuse for family entertainment, so I was up against the Shaggy Dog, a Garfi- Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties, Deck the Holes, but lost to RV. That's um, a Robin Williams film, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, yeah, before we get to our review, just quickly, anything you want to say on Peter Boyle? I mean, we've covered all his oh, career. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm a big Peter Boyle fan. Uh, you know, there's so many things he's been in. Like, if you go back to the, the Mel Brooks stuff that he did before, um, I was never, like, a huge Everybody Loves Raymond fan, but the few times I did watch it, I was usually watching it for Peter Boyle. It's just, it's kind of sad that this was his final film. Um, but I guess credit to him that he made the most of playing Father Time in uh, the Santa Claus 3. So, uh, yeah. uh, rest in peace, Peter Boyle. I, 12 years. <laughs> I have a really random love for a very hated film, The Adventures of Pluto Nash. And um, he was in that, apparently. I can't remember him that, to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, I was never, again, yeah, huge on Everybody Loves Raymond. I would watch it if it was on. I didn't go out of my way to watch it. But, yeah, he was always funny on that. So, yeah. Rip Peter Boyle. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that sounded wrong, didn't it? Um, do we even need to ask what we're doing for the review here? I mean, honest to God, we, I think it's just the most, this is yeah. the obvious bin it that there ever has been, right? Well, I mean, unless you're counting the Star Wars Holiday Special, it doesn't get more obvious than this one. Yeah, no, absolutely there with that. So, um, all right. Thank you, Santa Claus Trilogy, for being a Santa Claus Trilogy. But, uh, we now move on to tomorrow, Christmas Eve. Our final film in our four-day binge fest of Tim Allen Christmas films, and we move out of the Santa Claus franchise to go to Christmas with the Cranks. I'm going to say this right now. Never seen it. Haven't even watched it yet in preparation for it. So there's not much I can say about it. I like Jamie Lee Curtis. I like Dan Aykroyd. Uh, I think that kid from Malcolm in the Middle's in it, isn't he? The the, the yeah. young one. Um, so, yeah, that's my uh, knowledge on Christmas with the Cranks. Over to you, Colin. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is an interesting one. I mean, I, I did see this one when it first came out because I was a big Tim Allen fan. This was kind of an unusual movie where it was just destroyed by critics, like no movie that had ever been out before. And audiences seemed to walk out of this movie saying it's terrible, and yet it made money week after week after week. And it's just kind of interesting. Uh, I, I don't think you can really find stuff now in comparison to, you know, what was like the IMDb rating in 2000 and uh, what was it, 2003 or 2004 it came out? 2004, uh, 5.2 it's yeah. at the moment. But I do remember a point where Christmas with the Cranks was like like the low threes. It was like 3.2 or something like that. So for some reason, the movie's developed a bit more of a following in like the last, you know, 13 years. Uh, and I think it holds up better than I ever would have expected it to. I will say, though, I'm probably with a lot of the critics in that I never really thought this movie worked as well as it should have. I mean, it's written by Christopher Columbus. You think that, you know, it would be a little bit better. Um, but I don't know. The a guy lot who of discovered actually, America? That's exactly who wrote this. Yes. Um, <laughs> but the I actually started watching this before we started watching the Santa Claus three, just because it was on TV. And I'm like, well, let me get some of my notes done now. It's amazing how, few parts of this movie i really laugh out loud but yet i still kind of find it amusing and uh, in particular i'm interested to talk about you know the end of this movie because i feel like the end of this movie re was really weird it's different from a, the rest of the movie but strangely it works and as much as it's a bad movie just like the santa claus 3 i, I find myself going back to it you know every couple of years so uh it it'll be interesting to go through this and see another person's opinion who's seeing it for the first time but the number one thing i always take away from christmas with the cranks is just how hated this movie was and yet how much money it was making and you know it's different for a movie to make a ton of money like the last jedi <laughs> and people haven't even seen it yet but for a movie to make money week after week after week i mean that's repeat business and you just have to question who are the people going back to christmas with the cranks every single week 
can we just point out that just on Last Jedi that that made more in its opening weekend than Justice League has made in its entire run. So yeah. I feel sad for Justice League. Anyway, uh, and I just realised that Felicity Huffman's in this movie. Uh, Desperate Housewives. Briefly, briefly. <laughs> oh, well, that briefly will be amazing because um, I have a really <laughs> random crush on Felicity Huffman. And no, it's not after seeing Transamerica. Um, <laughs> I know you were thinking it. It's got nothing to do with the penis in that movie, all right? So just stop thinking about it. Lynette Scarvo was the best of all four of the Desperate Housewives, and I don't care what people say. That's ahead of Terry Hatcher, people. You know John I have Tenney. no idea what you're talking about John, John right Tenney now. wanted I... Terry Hatcher to be in Christmas to the Cranks, but it was only Felicity Huffman that was available. Um, So that will be tomorrow... Um, it's Christmas Eve Eve right now, and, uh, look, I'm pretty proud of us, Colin Hilding, that we said 90 minutes, and we've done this in about 100 minutes, so that's pretty darn close, so, um, clapping to us. Like us, subscribe, all the usual stuff, um, it's Christmas, so give us a present and leave us some feedback, um, on, I mean, you can send us a real present if you want, um, but... Yeah. Uh, I don't know what else to say. This movie was shit. It's over with. Let's get on to Christmas <laughs> with the Cranks. My name is Ben, and that's a nice door. <laughs> uh, and my name is Colin. And remember, kids, how much your parents love you depends on how many times you download this episode. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.